0: This message is based particularly on the middle verses, again, the middle verses of 1 Corinthians 13, love suffers long and is kind, it does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. All of these things in these verses from 4 through 7 apply to the home And if love is any good at all, it's good at home. That's where it ought to start. Johnny had been attending Sunday school for three Sundays when he was asked by his teacher, Johnny, would you like to go to heaven someday? Johnny, being fairly new, said, I'm not sure. I don't know what heaven is like. The teacher thought that she should come up with something quick, so she explained, Johnny, heaven is kind of like home. Without hesitation, Johnny said, no way am I going there if it's like my home. And we smile, but yet there's a tragic note to that, isn't there? Last year, Ron Jones was with us for a Sunday night. My wife and I happened to be away at that time, so did not hear the story, but Friday night, I had to drive, we had to drive, to Fallon, Nevada. If you've never been to Fallon, Nevada, you're lucky. I mean, don't worry about it. But I was speaking at a banquet there, and so we drove over the hill, and beside the fellowship we enjoyed, we took along the tape that was made during that service with Ron Jones. And I have never heard a story like it in all of my life, a story of abuse, a story of six boys in a family all beat up regularly by their father, so much so that Ron has had plastic surgery and all kinds of broken bones from his own father. He was so abusive in the home that his mother tried to commit suicide twice and the third time succeeded by hanging herself in the basement of their home being found by the boys when they came home from school and on one occasion ron looked his father in the face after separating him in a fight from one of his brothers and said i hate your guts after god dealt with his life he went back to his father and asked his forgiveness But as I understand it, his father has rather alienated Ron totally from his family and from his love, even to this day. For me, as a father who would die for his family, it is very hard to understand. So when a little boy in Sunday school says, I don't want to go there if it's like my home, We can understand that that kind of thing is very prevalent in our society today, much to our shame. There is something frightening, it seems to me, taking place in the American home. I was thinking about it this week, thinking back into my growing up years, and I do not remember in those years ever hearing our pastor or anyone within our church or even in our home Talk about a marriage counselor. I suppose there were some, but there sure weren't very many. It was different. But today, if you open the yellow pages of the phone book, you will find columns of marriage counselors. And you will find pages of psychologists and psychiatrists listed in the phone book. It seems like we are much like Rome. Rome did not fall from without. Rome fell from within. Caesar was married four times. Pompey was married five times. With all of the literature on love, sex, and marriage today, you would think, that there would be improvement and a better record than we're finding, but we're on a steady trend downward. There's no question about it. I looked in the paper the other day, and a man was bragging about his 17th marriage. And a lady said, why do I need a home? I was born in a hospital, educated in a college, courted in an automobile, married in a church. I live out of a delicatessen, tin cans, and paper bags. I spend my mornings on the golf course, my afternoons at the bridge table, and my evening at the movies. And when I die, I will be cremated and buried in a brass urn. All I really need is a garage. Aldow Huxley in Brave New World says that if the recent rate of divorce continues to accelerate, quote, In a few years, no doubt, marriage licenses will be sold like dog licenses, good for a period of 12 months with no law against changing dogs or keeping more than one animal at a time. End of quote. Now that may be all right for a spaniel, but not for men and women created in the image of God. Love is kind. We are not seeing it. We are not experiencing it as God intended in the beginning. I'm going to break precedence today. I only have one major point this morning. Under that, I have two sub-points, and under the second sub-point, I have three sub-sub-points. The main point is, Christ in the home is the ideal, The first subpoint is, till death do us part, is what we said at the altar. We have that in every married ceremony in this church, till death do us part. And to me, that is the secret of happiness in a home. To have that kind of commitment, to have that kind of confidence in the relationship with the one that is to be the next closest to us apart from Jesus Christ. Till death do us part. In one of my ceremonies I say, you must never forget nor deny the vision you once saw. You must resolve that it be not blotted out nor blurred by the common experiences of life. Faults may appear which were once hidden in a golden mist. Still be unmoved in your devotion. Still remain confident and hopeful amid the reality of present imperfections. Believe in the ideal. You saw it once. It still exists. It is the final truth. This vow is a confidence builder. In my opinion, it's a security blanket for a husband and wife, as well as for the children that are born to that union. Till death do us part, we are in this for keep. I would never think of giving up on my wife or my children. That thought has never occurred to me one time in all of my life. As we move toward our 36th wedding anniversary, I can stand here and say, love never fails. And I have lived under the security of those words till death do us part. Christ is the ideal in the home. And my wife, has been able to live under the security of what I said to her at that altar in Monroe, Wisconsin, till death do us part. I meant it. And we remain committed to that today, and our children know that. And it is no wonder that they are experiencing tranquil relationships, happy Peaceful, joy-filled homes, because they too now live under that same blanket, under that same evidence of commitment. Christ, the ideal. Then, secondly, every home has some problems. Even though we say, till death do us part, we must acknowledge that every home has some problems, right? It's how you deal with them. Now, the other day, a week ago, I had to write my wife a little note because she was still asleep and I didn't want to bother her because when I got up and went to shave and all of that sort of thing, I, I looked over on her side of the counter, two sinks, and there was her name tag Said Mary Ann Cole it had been sitting there since the uh, marriage retreat, and I wondered why it was still there, and then two pair of glasses. Laying there, one she wears, and an extra pair. Both out there, you know where the the sink is, and there was uh, some toothpaste globbed in the sink, and it was kind of yucky. And that's what I had to face: getting up to go to my immense responsibilities. And so I just went and got the little pad, and I wrote "embarrassing," and I, I enunciated the problems that I saw and just signed it, but I'm embarrassed. Then we got on the phone later in the day. You know that we have fun this way. This is our way of communicating sometimes. So you don't get angry, you have fun with it. So when we called, I said, did you find the note? (laughs) There was this pause. She found the note. Then I had to write another one a few days later. It was good this morning. I was proud this morning. It it looked good this morning. Now, it's not your turn. You just (laughs) behave. There are problems in every home, you say. Is that the greatest problem you have? Just about. but you work through them. A marriage counselor asked one young couple, what do you have in common? The wife quickly replied, one thing, neither of us can stand the other. John Milton was an unhappily married poet. One day he heard his wife referred to by a friend as a rose. He said of that comment, I am no judge of flowers, but it may be true for I feel the thorns daily. Every home has some problems. So how do you work through the problems? Pick up the book. Pick up the Bible, not any old book. The book. Find the answers in the book. It's simple. Ephesians 5 and 6 would really be enough. Three times... In Ephesians 5, Paul said, Husbands, love your wives. That's sub-sub point one. See how fast we're moving? Husbands, love your wives. Don't take your companion for granted. Protect against marriage deterioration. Ladies, poke your husband. Make sure he's awake. He needs to listen. We are to secure our companion with our affection. Husbands, love your wives. It is not an option. There are not five multiple choice. It is one command. Husbands, Love your wives. And I want you men to hear this comment. If you have children at home, the most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. To give them the security of seeing you as the head of that family, wrapping yourself around that woman, that Brought them into the world. Children are unsettled by dissension in the home. It throws them for a loop. It puts them into chaos emotionally and even spiritually. Your wife is a person, sir. Your children are people. They are created in the image of God. And the answer begins with obeying the command, Husbands, love your wives. And then it continues by disciplining with love within the family setting. As children get older, they still need love. They just need more of it as they grow older. It seems a lot of folk think in the other vein that the older they get, the less you will have to love them. No, it's the opposite. The more you will have to love them. Teenage years are difficult years sometimes, not only for the teenager, but for the parents. But there's one thing that can make them far more tranquil than anything else, and that is love. Pour love into them. Jesus taught us about it in the prodigal son's story when the father looked down the road to welcome the vagabond. Whom? Love. The older they get, the more love they need. The big decisions of their lives are in front of them, and they need to be loved through those decisions. God has put the parents in the position to do that. The first verse of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians says, Pursue love. One translation says, Let love be your greatest aim. Gentlemen, macho, capital, Christian, center men, those of you who build big buildings, run huge machinery, you teach school, you run banks, You build houses, you work in the state offices, you macho, capable men. Your greatest calling is to love. So why are you running? Why do you find it difficult to say those words, I love you, when the one command God has given you is to love and to discipline with love. Now ladies, let me move to number two if you have felt very comfortable through that point. It says in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Seems in our time that has been fought as much as anything I've ever seen. One translation says, learn to adapt yourselves to your husbands as you submit yourselves to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife in the same way that Christ is the head of the church. Philip's translation says, the willing subjection of the church to Christ should be reproduced in the submission of wives to their husbands. But remember, this means that the husband must give his wife the same sort of love that Christ gave to the church when he sacrificed himself for her. The Women come back to me with that. They're supposed to be submitted to the Lord, and that's the problem. He's not submitted to the Lord, therefore I don't have to submit to him. You will never find divorce in those words. You will never find separation in those words. You need to pray for him. You need to work with him. You need to encourage him. Instead of nag him, watch the nagging. Every 27th day of the month, I get around to Proverbs 27, verse 15, which reads, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Now I thought, that is a strong statement, so I pulled down my my volume above the typewriter with four translations of all the verses in the Bible. I wanted to see what others said about it. And you know, in every column it said the same thing. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. There is no other translation to that verse. That's the way it comes out in Greek. That's the way it comes out in Hebrew, comes out in Latin that way, comes out in English that way. A dripping woman (laughs) erodes the stone and eventually will split it. Dr. John Schindler says that most cases of emotionally induced illness are the result of a monotonous drip. the drip of unpleasant emotions, the everyday run of anxieties, fears, discouragement, and longing. Pray. Have others pray with you. Be willing to talk and be willing to listen. We are bad listeners, and we never accomplish anything when we're yelling. We need to stop our yelling, start listening. You know how frustrating it is when the phone rings and you pick it up and there's nobody there. You say three times, hello, you wait, hello, hello. Boom, all that irks us. Well, can you imagine what goes on inside when somebody is there and you will not talk? You will not listen. Love does not seek its own. We need to get away from the Lucy syndrome in Peanuts. She made a pronouncement to Charlie Brown. She was going to have a new ambition, and it was to be a baseball umpire. So when Charlie Brown asked her why, with her head high, she said, because I'm always right. Now that may work in umpiring, but it's terrible in marriage. And so there comes this... Adapting of ourselves to our mate. Remembering love does not seek its own. Listening, talking, letting Christ's love flow through us. Being sweet in spite of what others may be doing. That is what is involved in the second solution to the problems that we face at home. And the third is in two words children obey that's in the 6th chapter of ephesians but the question that i want to ask this morning here at capital christian center is why should they obey this point is not so much addressed to the children as it is to the adults in the audience today what would make them want to obey I'll tell you what it is, in my opinion. It is a solid, unchanging standard. That is what makes children want to obey. And the reason we have these problems today, children running wild in our streets, is because they have not seen a solid, unchanging standard in the adults. I lay the blame on the doorstep of the adults. The older generation has lost its halo in the eyes of youth. The Ten Commandments are not practiced by mom and dad. If your children tell you that religion is for the birds, then you need to ask yourself a very pointed question. What in me makes my child to say religion is for the birds? You see, we say, boy, the church has failed. Society has failed. Look at my child. Oh, let's wake up. The problem is right at your fingertips. It is the adults that they watch. The hypocritical actions, the words, the untruths, the bickering, the fighting the degradation that they see causes them to say religion is for the birds what they need to see is a solid unchanging standard three things example number 2 Example, number three, example. Put them in any order you want. Example. I read about some bored, frustrated rich kids in another state who caused $400,000 worth of damage in a neighborhood. They drove their sports cars over the lawns Uprooting shrubs, breaking windows, smearing walls with paint, smashing lights and plaster with sledgehammers and hacking paneling with their hatchets. That's in modern educated America. And was it the poverty segment? No, it was the rich kids. What's their problem? They're frustrated. They're bored. They've been handed everything this world can give them except example. Parents are running to every party they can find, sipping on every bottle they can buy, and leaving it in the cupboard for their kids to take on their merry rides. And then they wonder why they're called by the police to come to the station. Example, example, example. Another phenomenon of our time, in case you didn't know it, is shoplifting by teenagers. And it's not from the ghetto, it's from the middle class suburbia. And most of them are girls. A girl walked out of a department store 15 pounds heavier than when she went in because she had underneath her clothes 12 bikini bathing suits, one on top of the other. Often the girls will say when caught, but I'll put back the stuff I took. Don't tell me I'm going to be arrested for shoplifting. Well, I wonder where in the world they think they live. You can just walk in and take anything you want and not be arrested for it. Now, where do you lay the blame for that? It's got to be in the lap of the parents, permissive parents who look the other way. One girl, fatally injured in a car accident, said to her mother as she died, Mother, you taught me everything I needed to know to get by in college. You taught me how to light my cigarette, how to hold my cocktail glass, and how to have intercourse safely. But, Mother, you never taught me how to die. You better teach me quickly, Mother, because I'm dying. And she died. A solid, unchanging foundation. The new morality of our time is close to becoming the standard for our civilization, and it scares me half to death. If we're not there already, the new morality, it's a standard so far removed from what I was taught growing up, it's frightening. It will send cold chills up your spine. To think that a girl could be a virgin when she comes to the altar is almost a thing laughed at today. The new morality is nothing but the old immorality, just dressed up in an affluent society. But I'm here to tell you it will never work. It will go down the drain and our civilization will end up just like Rome's unless we repent and get back to the basic. And it's got to start right here where people will listen to the Holy Spirit. Have you ever looked at a bridge? Well, you say many times. Have you ever paid attention to how a bridge is built? On every bridge that I have ever been on, there are guardrails on both sides. Now, why does an architect plan it and why does a builder build it with guardrails? The obvious is before us to keep cars from going off into the abyss. Those guardrails save a lot of lives. Why did God give us guardrails? Because he loves us. Why did he give us the Ten Commandments? Why does he talk to us about morality and about righteousness? Because they're just like guardrails on the bridge, so that one day we will end up safely on the other side with him, enjoying eternity forever. If father and mother do not go to Sunday school regularly, how can you expect son and daughter to want to go? I see people running in and out of here all the time. Their kids never get into a Sunday school class. They never get into the youth group because the parents are too big of a hurry. They don't want to take that extra time. One day you'll pay a horrible price, friends. If they do not receive spirit-filled instruction from their parents, how will they ever stand the tide of wickedness in our public schools? They will not make it. They are not making it. And you cannot blame the church. You cannot blame society. You've got to blame the home. Love begins at home, and love says to those kids, these are the guardrails. I only had to tell my boys one time, that we were going to Sunday school every Sunday of our lives. They never had to ask again. You mean to say you told them they had no choice? Absolutely. And I still tell them that at 31 and 33 years of age. They don't have a choice. The Cole family is there. They still don't. Have a choice. As long as I live, they're going to hear that from Pop. And to stay away would bring such conviction on them. They would think I would fall through a roof on top of them if they stayed away. You say that's guilt by association. I don't care what you call it. I like it. It works a lot better than most things I see today. We just made that a law, like the Medes and the Persians. In the Reader's Digest, a Michigan housewife said, I go to Sunday school and church because I have a son. Now that would have been enough, but she went on to say, when his fresh young voice is lifted into grand old hymns, when he hears the beautiful scripture message which he has been taught, is the voice of God, when his head is bowed in reverence, as together we partake of the communion, I have faith to believe that his life will be different because he has caught a glimpse of something greater than himself. Bless her. And what is happening at Capitol? It is happening. There are young married couples who have decided that on Saturday night, they're going to invite couples in at 5 o'clock for a potluck and then come to the prayer meeting at 7.14. And there was a group of them there last night. It was exciting. And some of them had all their children with them in the prayer meeting. Some of them are there every week with their, with their children. Say, do they pray? Not much. But they're there. And they're getting some habits formed in their lives as children because their parents have made a decision some real positive things going on. There are some parents that have said we will be in the 9 o'clock service and we will be in the 11 o'clock Sunday school class with the other marriage builders and our children will be in Sunday school and children's church until they move out of that and then they'll be with us in the sanctuary. They've made that their goal. I thank God for that. That's love. Love begins at home with rules and regulations and sometimes with pain inflicted in the right place. And don't forget, if they're still wearing diapers, it's better to take the diaper off because that is too big of a pad. They need to feel the sting a little bit because pain teaches Listen to these verses from God's Word. Galatians 6, 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. In love I ask you folk, how are you sowing? Listen to this verse from Hosea chapter 8, verse 7. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. It is a passage about idolatrous Israel, their wanderings and waywardness. And God said, for they have sown the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. I cannot believe educated people writing what they write, saying what they say in our time. We are sowing the wind and we are already beginning to reap. A horrible whirlwind. In the discipline of the Methodist Church, 1944, is a paragraph that I want to share with you this morning and will be reproduced in next Sunday's bulletin, the last day of this series, so you can take it home. And I trust read it in your home as a family and dedicate yourself to what it says. We dedicate this home to the glory of God committing to his loving care the house and all who dwell in it. We dedicate this home to deep affections of the family circle and to all friendly hospitalities. We dedicate this home to the courage, patience, and self-control which make life cheerful and serene. We dedicate this home to all beautiful things of heart and mind that lead the soul to wider vision and to higher aims. We dedicate this home to happiness, to hopefulness, and to health, that it may ever be to those whose home it is a dear haven of peace and joy. That, my friends, is what 1 Corinthians 13 is really all about. It is in some cases shutting off the television set and stop bringing in those videos by the dozens. It's talking together. It's praying together. It's listening to each other. It's establishing some guardrails at the side of the bridge before it's too late. It's dedicating the home to love, to peace, and serenity so that when the garage door goes down, you know that in that environment, you're not going to get the screaming world in your ears. You're not going to get the adulterous population shouting at you, this is the way, you're going to hear God in the quiet of that home. And he will be there bringing you together in peace and love and giving you the wherewithal to live in a world that has gone bananas has lost its way. God said through Christ, I love you. His suffering, his death, his resurrection speak of that with power and eloquence. And then at the end of the chapter, he says, Now abideth faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Closing, I would like you to look at 1 Corinthians 13 with me. It occurred to me that you could take out the word love in this chapter and insert another word and not change it one bit. It would still come out exactly the same. So that we would read, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not Christ, I have become a sounding brass. If I give my body to be burned but have not Christ, it profits me nothing. Christ suffers long and is kind. Christ does not envy. Christ does not parade itself. Christ is not puffed up. Christ does not behave rudely. Christ does not seek his own. Christ does not provoke. Christ thinks no evil. Christ does not rejoice in iniquity. Christ rejoices in the truth. Christ bears all things. He believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Christ never fails. And now by the faith. Hope and Christ. But the greatest of these is Christ. What does this mean? It means, my friend, get Christ into your heart. And your home will be a place of love. Get Christ in your heart, in your church will be a place of love. Get Christ in your heart, and you can face Monday morning at the job. Get Christ in your heart. And you're able to put 1 Corinthians 13 to practice every day of your life. Jesus Christ, God's great gift. Sermon over. Now what do we do about it? Just go out and say, well, that was another sermon. Boy, he got kind of hard today, didn't he? Or do we say, God talked to us today. It is his word. We do need to make some adjustments. We do need to receive Christ into our hearts. We do need to make some changes. I pray it will be the latter. The Holy Spirit will burn this into you because I want your happiness. God wants your happiness. I love you enough to stand here and tell you the truth in spite of the tides that are sweeping in upon the beach. And I tell you the truth. Love never fails. Would you bow in prayer with me, please? God, our Father... We stand in the midst of time going on toward eternity, dealing with the flesh, dealing with modern thought, but we want to deal with it today with the Word of God in our hand and in our heart. Come and speak to this fellowship today, Lord, about family and home. Speak to husbands about loving their wives and wives submitting themselves to their husbands as under the Lord and children obeying because they see the example in their parents and it makes it easy to obey when you have a solid foundation in front of you. Speak to us. Deal with us. May we not play games, Lord, and say, We'll get by. Somehow we'll get by. May the truth be burned into us that there is no escape From folly, from disobedience, from sowing to the wind, there is no escape. The whirlwind will come. We must sow to righteousness if we're to reap righteousness. So as we're bowed in prayer, O God, let people know you love them, that you're not going to